Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you had a good Independence Day this week. Uh, for those of you that are new here, or for anyone who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Cody, and I serve as the worship and college pastor here at Quorum Deo. And this morning, I get the chance to open God's word with you, and I'd like to, I'd like to get into it quickly. So why don't we do that together? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And if you don't have a copy of the word of God, just go ahead and raise your hand, get the attention of one of the ushers that's coming down the aisles, and we would be happy to get a copy of the word of God into your hands. So like I said, turn to 2 Samuel 23. I'll be joining you there in just a minute. But I wanted to start out by telling you why I chose this passage this morning. You see, this is a message that was preached at our college ministry this past spring. And I felt led to bring this specific message to you this morning. And the reason for that is really twofold. Uh, the past, this past spring, our college ministry went through a series on King David. And what we did is we looked at many different points in his life, and what we wanted to do is that we wanted to learn what it looked like to walk with God closely, both in the spiritual highs of life and in the midst of our own sins and failures. And King David is a great example of that. If you know anything about the life of King David, you know that he had both his ups and his downs with the Lord and persevered and glorified the Lord nonetheless. It's like Paul says in scripture, um, he says to follow him as he follows Christ. And that's what we wanted to do as a college ministry. We wanted to look at the Christ-like things in King David's life and learn from those and follow after those things. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that as we open up the word together and we see things about King David's life, that we would follow after those things and that we would always be growing in our desire to do God-honoring things. So that's, that's the first reason for this message this morning is I wanted to share with you a taste of the King David series that we had in our college ministry. But the other reason is because over the past year, our college ministry has been focusing on the spiritual disciplines, many of the spiritual disciplines. These can include, but they're not limited to studying scripture, uh, being in community, fasting, and certainly prayer. And we spend all different aspects of our ministry focusing on these spiritual disciplines. We try to incorporate them into the very rhythms of our ministry, whether it's our two retreats that we do a year where we get away for the weekend and there, there's no formal teaching. It's literally us as a group spending time in these spiritual disciplines, studying the word together, praying together, being in community together, building one another up, encouraging one another. Like we spend time doing that, but it's not just in our retreats we do these spiritual disciplines. We also make sure we incorporate them into our small groups and certainly we try to incorporate them into our messages on Thursday nights because we want to make sure that the idea of being disciplined in our faith is constantly before us. And just like Pastor Rob charged us last week to have a life full of fervent prayer, I'd love to help you in that this morning. I'd love to equip you to be able to walk in a life of fervent prayer and maybe see another way that prayer can be done if it's something that you haven't practiced. And so this message is also meant to encourage you in that specific discipline this morning. And as such, 
This message is structured in two parts, all right? So you can see it there in your notes if you grab some on the way in, if you're looking at it on the phone. We sort of have two parts to our message. The first part of the structure is that we will be learning from King David's life, and we will be reflecting on what we learn in his last words, which is what we are about to read together. And the second part of the message is a response. It's a response by putting the spiritual discipline of prayer into practice, and it's praying in accordance to the scripture. And I pray that that's what you see this morning, is that you will see how we learn from God's word and how we respond to God's word by praying through it and praying that those things would apply to our lives. And I hope that either this helps you learn how to do it in the first place or continually encourages your practice of doing it. So with that said, let's get into the passage and I'll show you exactly how this is gonna play out. Second Samuel 23, I'm gonna start in verse one, go to verse Seven. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of his spear and they are utterly consumed with fire. So the first thing we see in this passage is that we are looking at the last words of King David. There's no context for when these words were given or what state of mind or health that he was in. We don't know if this was on his deathbed. We don't know if this was at his last public appearance as a king. Scripture doesn't concern itself with telling us exactly when it said him, but Scripture does concern itself with telling us that these were his last and final words. And final words, last words, that's something that we should understand the importance of, right? Like we just went through as a, as a culture, as a society, we just went through what we like to call graduation season. How many of you, just show of hands, give me an idea of who I'm talking to. How many of you in the last couple months attended some kind of graduation, whether it be a junior high, high school? Yeah, if you're looking around the room, it is a lot of you that have attended some graduation. And I want to ask you, in all these graduations, there's usually something in common. What is one of the things that's in common between almost every single graduation, especially high school and college? It's the graduation speech. The graduation speech is almost always to be found at a graduation, whether it's college, high school, and sometimes even junior high. So let me ask you, what is the purpose of a graduation speech? Why do they happen? Well, they happen because it's the graduate's last opportunity to reflect upon their years at school and then charge others to do the same and also be able to charge them to press into the world, learn from their time, and move forward. And at graduations, precedence to speak is given often to a valedictorian, a salutatorian, 
Essentially, precedence to speak is, giving to, is given to the ones who have succeeded, the ones who have done well at school. And it is expected that if you are in attendance at this event, that you will heed and you will listen to those that have done well and are offering their words to the graduates. And if you are able, you would apply such words. That's the expectation. A weight is placed upon the last words of a graduate who has succeeded. And in the same fashion, so too should we be placing weight upon the last words of King David because he is a man who has gone before us in church. This is not a man that succeeded well in school and is teaching us how to succeed in school. This is a man, rather, who walked in relationship with God, who loved him and glorified him. He is a man who was blessed by God, and he was a man who was a blessing to the people of God. In fact, we see it there in verse 1. This was a man who was, it says, raised on high and anointed by God of Jacob. This is the man who is treasured as the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is the man who defeated Goliath. This is the man who brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. This is the man who won many a battle for God's people. This is a man who wrote 73, at least 73 of the 150 Psalms that we see in Scripture. This is a man who loved the Lord and lived for the Lord. In church, when we see the last words of David, what we should be seeing here is the last words of somebody who's worth following after in many different ways someone who's worth learning a few things from, someone who is worth looking at when it comes to evaluating a life lived for the glory of God. That's what we're doing. We're looking at the ways that he glorified the Lord, the ways that he loved God, the ways that were Christ-like in him, and we're seeing those things and following after Christ through the example of David. That's the weight that we should have when evaluating David's last words because for the people of Israel, that's the weight they had when they heard the last words of David because of who he was and what he had done for God and what he had done for God's people. So let's look at that first thing that David had in his life, and it's found right there in verse 1. It's that David was known for God's work in his life. That's what we learn about him right off the bat. David was known for God's work in his life. Look back at verse 1 with me. And see what I mean. Verse 1 says, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David. Oracle here just means uh, utterance or announcement. So this passage is just saying that it's the final announcement of David. As I mentioned before, we don't know exactly when this took place, but we do know that it was sometime near the end of his life and reign as king. So let's keep on going. It says, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high. Do you see that there in the text? It says that he was raised on high, and a question should come to mind, who raised him on high? That question's actually answered in the next statement. If you continue on, it says, the anointed of the God of Jacob. Anointed here means like the chosen one, the one set apart for authority, the one selected by God. In the Old Testament, this word is only ever used to describe priests, prophets, and kings, like people who were set apart by God to do the will of God. And and it's beautiful, isn't it? Like the word anointed. And it's beautiful, the connections that we can already begin to see because once we get into the New Testament and Jesus appears, he's also called the anointed one. And that's because he was indeed a priest. He was indeed a prophet. He was indeed a king. Like scripture is just amazing to connect all those things. So when we see the word anointed, we need to understand like, man, 
God is choosing someone to be prophet, priest, or king here. So we see that David was raised on high by God. He was chosen by God. In fact, the term raised on high is reserved for those brought to a kingly position. And that is exactly what God did to David. And this isn't just like a metaphorical way of speaking about David. Like God literally anointed him. 1 Samuel 16, God actually anoints David as king. He chooses him out of the rest of Israel and says, you are the man after my own heart. You are the one I'm going to choose. You are the one who's going to be king. So if we were to describe what we see about David, just describing him in this first verse, it would be to summarize that at the end of his days, David was not known for his own great personal accomplishments. It doesn't say David was the man who wrote X number of songs or that he defeated X number of enemies or that he lived in X number of years or yada, yada, anything like that. It also doesn't describe David for the terrible things that he did in his life. It doesn't say David, the man who killed Uriah and stole his wife after having committed adultery with her. It doesn't say David, the man who disobeyed God and took a census. Instead, it says David, raised on high, anointed. It describes David in relation to what God did in his life, the ways that God was glorified and the ways God moved in his life. So church, let's, let's just go ahead and let's thank God that the end of his days, the way David is described is by what God had done in his life and not what he had done against God. The things that are remembered is God's work to bring David to become king, God's work to choose him, God's work to raise him on high as the greatest king Israel would ever know, even God's work to allow David to become the sweet psalmist of Israel, like even David's songwriting. We know he was an amazing musician. We know that he used his music to calm people. We see that in scripture, but even David's songwriting is not at the end of the day is known because of its complicated instrumentation. It's not known because of its sweet melodies. David's songwriting is known because of the God that was glorified in it. Because his psalms were what remembered. The words is what is kept in God's word. That is what is kept for us to see is the way that David, even through the psalms, glorified God. So our point of understanding is is that David was known for God's work in his life. And I told you that with every point that we see in David's life, that there will be a point of prayer to ask the Lord to strengthen us in doing the same. And the first point of prayer for us this morning is, Lord, may I be known for your work and not mine. As in, at the end of my days, God, at the end of my days, may the thing that people remember about me be the things that you did in my life, like the ways that you worked in my life, the ways that you brought me through from darkness to light, the ways that you used me to build your kingdom. Like church, that is a prayer worth praying, that we would see this in David's life and desire the same for us. So let's go ahead and do that now. Let's put that into practice. I'm gonna encourage you, just close your eyes, bow your heads, just take a moment to collect your thoughts and I'll lead us in prayer, praying through this exact point. Lord, you are so good to us. 
You're so kind and gracious to bring us from darkness to light, Lord. You're so good to save us. You're so good to die for us, even in our sins. Lord, you're so good to give us gift and skills and abilities and things that we can accomplish for your kingdom. You're so good to give us work to be done. And Lord, I pray that just like King David, who was known for the things that you did in his life and the ways that he glorified you, I pray that we would be the same. I pray that we would glorify you in that way, Lord. I pray that the end of our days, when people reflect on our lives, I pray that as we sit in the memorial service of our life, Lord, I pray that the only thing that would be known is you and what you've done and the ways that you used us to build your kingdom, to reach others for your name. And Lord, how we loved you. May that be true of us as a church this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So that's the the first point. Moving on to our second point of the text this morning, it's that David acknowledged God's word in his life. David acknowledged God's word in his life. And the second main point comes with a couple sub points, but let's first just look back at verse two with me. It says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Let's stop there for a moment and realize that one of the ways, one of the ways that David acknowledged God's word in his life was he spoke it. One of the ways David acknowledged God's word in his life is that he spoke it. It says it right there. The Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. This is David's way of acknowledging that God made him a prophet. This is David's way of saying that many of the things that David said are things that God was saying. This is proved alone by the fact that the words we are currently reading that he is speaking in this passage are in the word of God. That's proof alone. But I told you, there's already... Proof that he wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms, like the Psalms that he wrote became and were the word of God. On top of that, if that wasn't enough, scripture itself speaks to David being a prophet and having the word of God on his tongue. This is going to be on the screens. This is Peter's sermon in the book of Acts. Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts 2.29 says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, more on that later, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So we see that Peter describes David as a prophet. Peter acknowledges David speaking the word of God. So I don't think we need to go any further in proving that David spoke the words of God, but I do want to take a moment, church, and I want to encourage you to speak the words of God. I want to take a moment and challenge you to do the same, to speak the words of God like David did. And specifically, I want to encourage and challenge you to speak it to other people. You know, the words that we speak now, they may not be recorded in a book and they won't be added to the Bible. They won't be added to God's word because this is complete. This is whole. But the words that we speak can absolutely be founded in, 
can be rooted in, can be from God's word. Because we can choose to speak God's words to other people by speaking what we see of scripture to them. Like you can speak God's word about a specific topic to others. You can speak God's word applied to a situation that you or someone else finds themselves in. You can speak God's word as a given encouragement for hope and perseverance in a hard time. You can speak God's word as the foundation of wise counsel to a friend. Like Peter is saying in, in this Acts passage here that David spoke of the resurrection of Christ. You see it there? Last, second to last line, the resurrection of Christ. David spoke of it, which is true. We see that in the Psalms. We see messianic Psalms that speak of the death and resurrection of Christ to come. David spoke of it, yet he didn't even fully understand what he was saying in the moment. But he spoke of it because it was God's word to him. And in the way that David spoke of the resurrection of Christ, like Peter acknowledges here in Acts, so too can we speak of the resurrection of Christ to others. In the way that David spoke and sang of God's awesomeness and majesty in the Psalms, so too can we speak of God's awesomeness and his majesty to other people that they may see, they may taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, be Someone who speaks God's words to other people. Be someone wise in counsel because you've read the words of the great counselor. Be someone who speaks encouragement because you've read the words of the great encourager. Be someone who speaks the truth because you've read the words of the one who is the truth. David acknowledged the word of God in his life by speaking the word of God. But he didn't just acknowledge the word of God by speaking it. He also acknowledged the word of God by heeding it. He heeded it. Look back at verse 3 with me and I'll show you what I mean. Verse 3 says, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And then verse five here, it's actually a side comment that David makes that relates to this, but it's also a separate point. So we're gonna get to that in a minute, but continue with me in verse six here. We can uh, see, continue to see what the Lord is saying to David. So the Lord says to David, but worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. They cannot be taken with a hand, but the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of spear and they are utterly consumed with fire. So here we have this statement of what God told David. And essentially what he told David is, the man that rules over God's people in a way that fears God will be blessed. And we see that in verses three and four as you're looking there. And then on the flip side, verses six and seven, we see David remembering that God told him of what happens to the man that takes the opposite approach. The worthless man is like a thorn to be thrown away because it can't be handled. Rather, instead of being handled, it needs to be shoved with iron or the shaft of the spear and it is burned away and consumed completely. So David is remembering that at some point in his life, God told him what it meant to rule over the people of Israel. And God told him what it would take to do it well. 
And God told him what he needed to do in order for these things to happen. And it's not just that David heard that word spoken to him and he didn't just speak it to others. It's the fact that he heeded it, meaning he took note of it and he followed through on it. He listened to it and then he acted on it. He heard what God had to say and then he did something about it. And we know that he did something about it. Because if you look at those blessings in verses three and four again, of someone who rules in the fear of God, this is what we saw about David's reign. David's reign was like the morning light to the people of Israel. It was like the sun shining forth on a cloudless day. David's reign was like the rain that causes grass to grow on the earth. Like good things grew from the reign of King David. Really good things grew, as we're gonna see in the Davidic covenant in just a second. And, and to prove, to prove even that, that David saw himself as heeding the word of God and pleasing it, you see it there in verse five in his little side comment. He says, what does he say? Does not my house stand so with God? He's made with me a covenant. Will not all that I do prosper? Like David viewed himself as someone that was striving to complete and seek and obey the word of God. David is showing that God was blessing him as part of him following after God in this way. David knew that he would not burn away. I mean, Peter even said it in that scripture that we just read, right? Peter said, that David would not be abandoned to Hades. And instead, God blessed David. So much so that God made a covenant with David. More on that in, in just a minute, but for the moment, this should let us see that David both spoke God's word when he heard it, and he heeded it. And he didn't just listen, he did it. This is just like it says in the book of James. James charges his listeners, the recipients of this letter. This is James 1. It's on the screen. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. David is living proof of this command in James. Be a doer and not just a hearer. For the one who looks into the perfect word of God and acts on what it says will be blessed. And David was indeed blessed. So we've learned that. We've seen that. We've seen that David acknowledged the word of God. David acknowledged the word of God by speaking it and by heeding it. And our prayerful response to this and understanding this and how it relates to the rest of scripture is, Lord, may I be a doer, hearer, and speaker of your word. Lord, make these things true in my life. Let's pray that now. Father, 
make these things true in our life. As we have just seen another part of your word laid out, Lord, and we've read it and we've tried to study it and understand it and, and, and learn from it, Lord, would you take those things that we are seeing and learning and put them in our hearts, Lord? Would you give us the strength and the opportunity to be a doer of your word, Lord? Lord, would you give us the routine and discipline to put ourselves in a place to hear your word often, to open our Bibles each and every day to see what you have for us, Lord, to faithfully attend together where we might be under your word and hearing it preached, Lord. And certainly, like King David, would you make us people that speak your word, just as Pastor Rob was, was saying last week, Father, would you make us those that speak the truth to others? Would they be true in our lives, Lord? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, so let's get into the last part of the verse this morning. We've covered most of the verses so far in this passage, but we haven't spent much time on verse five yet. And since David makes it a side statement, it seems right to cover what it contains just a little bit on its own. So look at verse five with me again. Verse five says, for does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? The point we can see about David in this passage is this, is that at the end of his life, David was a man who treasured God's promise in his life. David was a man who treasured God's promise in his life. Here in verse five, David is referencing the single most important moment of his life. The moment in which, despite his failures in the past and despite his failures to come, the moment in which God himself, God the creator, God the sustainer, God of all creation, made a covenant with David. Now, a covenant, if you're wondering, is a relationship that God establishes and guarantees by his word. And we call this covenant the Davidic covenant because it is a promise and relationship entered into between God and David. And if you want to take note of where it is and study it later and go on our website and look through the times Pastor Rob has preached through it, it's in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, if you want to take a note of that, we're not going to read it in full because there's so much to the covenant and it deserves a whole message or two on its own. But I do want you to see an excerpt of it. It's on the screen, 2 Samuel 7, 12. God is speaking to David and says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now already, Alarm bells should be going off. Anytime we hear things about forever kingdoms and someone being the son of God, like that should already be setting us off because under the surface, we understand and we know that what the Davidic covenant really is, is a continued revelation of God's promise to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Like the Davidic covenant, at the heart of it, sets up the hope for a promised king who would reign eternally and give God's people peace and a land to call their own. At the end of the day, the promise that David is remembering 
in the Davidic covenant is a promise of Christ. And clearly, David treasured this promise. I want you to look at the very beginning of that excerpt on the screens. It says, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, that moment that God is speaking of in this passage right here, that moment is close at hand for King David as he speaks his last words. To David, that moment is now or coming up. And as he speaks his last words, you have to imagine that as David is looking back upon his life, knowing that it's soon to be coming to an end, that the promise of God to raise up offspring after him, after he dies, the promise of God to establish a kingdom for his son, a kingdom and a throne that would last forever, you have to imagine that as he's nearing the end of his life, David is treasuring this moment and he's treasuring this promise. And clearly because he mentions it as his last words, he is treasuring it. Now we, being on this side of history, like we know the full fulfillment of this covenant. Like we know that when God is speaking of this king that's gonna be on a throne, we know that he's speaking of Jesus. Like we know that Jesus was descended from David. You can turn to Matthew 1 and it's proof right there that Jesus was descended from David. We know that Jesus did come and God did establish his kingdom forever. And one of the things that we've been learning in the book of Revelation is how his kingdom is going to come together and be fully revealed at the end of time. We've learned about how he is going to come and he's going to take his bride and he's going to redeem her. And we're going to get to see the full kingdom. Like we know these things. And what David saw dimly, we get to see fully. What David saw dimly, we get to see in the full light of day. And yet, David treasured this promise nonetheless. He treasured it so much that it caused him to sing for joy. He treasured it so much that immediately after this covenant, right here on the screens is made, just a few lines down in his prayer of gratitude, he says this. It's on the screen. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Like, it's clear that David treasured the promise of this future eternal king, and it caused him to rejoice. And church, if it caused David to rejoice, who could only see a glimpse of the promise to come, how much more should it cause us to rejoice when we can look back and see the full thing in the rearview mirror, knowing what it was and how it's fulfilled and how it's going to happen? How much more do we have a reason to rejoice in that? And yet sometimes we find it hard to rejoice. Sometimes rejoicing is not the option we take when hearing this promise. Sometimes rejoicing is easier said than done, right? Sometimes the burdens of life or our struggles with sin get in the way of this rejoicing. That's why David had to make a plea to God. Psalm 51, after his sexual sin with Bathsheba and his murdering of her husband, David pleads to the Lord and says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Like even David, who very clearly 
heard the promise of God made to him, had to pray to God to restore the joy of it to him. Even David, who was considered a man after God's own heart, had to pray that God would lead him once again to treasure him and rejoice in him the way that God deserves. And we are no different, church. Weariness can hit us with the busyness of life, the concerns of this world, the burdens of living in this world, as Pastor Rob mentioned last week, like the schedules between work and family and everything else. Sometimes we lose sight of treasuring God's promise because we lose focus. And sometimes our own sinfulness gets in the way. The things that we treasure over God, the things that are impure and unholy and separate us from a pure and holy God. Like even though we walk with Christ, our hearts are prone to wander and that wandering can lead us to a place if we aren't careful where we no longer treasure the promise of God that is given to us and it no longer leads us to rejoice. But thanks be to God that we have examples like David that have come before us that we can look at and see what it means to come back to the place of rejoicing in God. Thanks be to God that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that spurs us on to endure the race that is set before us. Like thanks be to God that we have examples of men who are repenting and coming back to the Lord and asking and praying, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Church, if any of you are in a place where you've strayed from treasuring the promise of God, whether it's for a moment, it's for a week, it's for a season, if any of you are in a place where you find it difficult to rejoice in that promise, I encourage you, just as David did, to pray for it. To pray for it, to repent of it, and to seek the Lord. And maybe, just like it says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Maybe what you need to do is to ask for the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation in your heart. Maybe you need to ask him to to show you what it means to treasure the promise, the promise that David had and the promise that we have. And so our final point of prayer as we wrap up this morning is, Lord, may I be one who treasures your promise and rejoices in it. May I be one who treasures your promise and rejoices in it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the ability to look at a life like King David and his last words and what it means, Father, to follow after you. And Lord, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation if we have lost it. Lord, if we have let things get in the way, if we have let things like the weariness of this life cause us to lose focus, Lord, if we have given in to sin that defiles you, Lord, if we have given in to things where we have treasured something else above you, would you restore to us the joy of your salvation by giving us the grace of repenting of it, Lord, to turn away from it and to seek you to come back to the foot of the cross? 
Lord, I ask that you would continue this practice in our lives of reading your word and praying in response to it, seeing truths in your word and asking that they would be a part of our lives. And Lord, now as we sing that Christ is our rock and our foundation, as we sing that he is the hope in which we stand, Father, I ask that you would restore that in the lives of some in this room and that you would use the song as a way of just expressing what is true in the lives of others right now, Lord. I pray that we would see you as our hope, our peace, our joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.